0: It's just not fair. Well, one of the things that helps me to understand the more difficult stories like this one is to see where they fit. I mean fit in the text, in the wider story. At what point in life does Jesus tell this story? Where is he and what's he doing? To whom is he talking? What has just happened and what is going to happen next? So in chapter 19, of Matthew, uh, to the paragraph just before this parable, you find out that Peter has just asked Jesus what he and the other disciples can get in way of reward for their loyalty to Jesus. They've given up everything to follow him, and Peter points out what will he give them in return. Jesus promises them 12 thrones in the world to come, but many that are first will be last, he says, the last first. Then he tells them this parable about the laborers in the vineyard. That is what happens before the story. What happens after is that James and John's mother, dear James and John's mother, comes uh, to Jesus and makes a special case for her two sons, kind of pulls Jesus aside and asks Jesus to give them the best thrones in heaven. It's it's all right having 12 with the disciples, but can you just give them the the two best, please? One on the left, one on the right. Politely but firmly Jesus lets her know that she doesn't know what she's talking about because his throne will not be made of gold or jewels, but out of wooden nails in the shape of a cross. It helps to know where the parable fits, that both before and after, Jesus tells it to his disciples, his own disciples, and by inference to others. Those disciples are jockeying for position, wanting the good seats in the kingdom, the VIPs. Competing even amongst themselves for the best, pecking order. Each of them wanting to be first in the queue when the doors are propped open and the show begins, ringside. Have you done that? Picture the scene, if you can, on this nice kind of spring evening. The latest blockbuster movie has come out at the cinema and there's a big queue, maybe the next Star Wars and it's in the afternoon and if you can remember this far back, you're young and it's summertime and there's lots of us waiting and your parents have dropped you off in the heat of the afternoon and you're giddy with the prospect of an hour's peace of, uh, and quiet. And, and, and we stood in the shade of the awning outside and waiting for the box office to open and money's burning a hole in your pocket. And you wonder about the economies of popcorn versus a big Coke or the pick and mix. Your friends arrive and shout their names, motioning them to come over to the place that you've saved for them. And the people behind are complaining bitterly and kind of chuntering and doing that, oh, you know, get back in the queues this way. And so we do the same when that happens in front of us. It. It's all part of the big game where everyone wants to be right up there at the front of the queue, the best place to be, not only because you are going to be the first inside. Because you were there when that moment came, when the doors are unlocked and the timid-looking manager pushed them open so that this great wave of air-conditioned cold air falls out of the cinema and hits you like a blast from the Arctic. An icy promise of everything that waits on that wonderful afternoon. That's the moment you've been waiting for. Everybody's been waiting for it. And those who'd won the places at the front of the queue got the very best of it. Prime spot. And so I can't imagine anything more disheartening than if the manager comes outside and reverses the order, telling those of us at the front of the queue, you stay here. While he goes to the end of the queue, the very back, those that have just turned up, those who haven't got too hot yet from standing in the sun, because they've known he just arrived, and says, you're first. I think I would be indignant if not angry and certainly make my feelings felt. I'd probably make some British booing (laughs) sounds, but still maintain the queue, you know, (laughs) because it wouldn't have been fair. Those of us at the front of the queue had earned our reward. We'd been there early. We'd got ahead of the curve. We knew it, and everybody else knows it. On what grounds would anyone dare reverse that order? Life is not fair, which is, which is why it seems all the more important that God should be. Do you know what I mean? God should be the one should be the only, should be the sole authority whom we can count on, shouldn't he, to, to reward people according to their efforts. Who keeps track of how long that we've worked and how hard we've worked and, uh, and who does not let people break into the queue ahead of you. They don't deserve to. God should be the one manager who polices the queue, walking up and down to make sure everyone stays where he or she belongs so that the first remain first and the last wait their turns at the end of the queue. Life's maybe not fair, but certainly God should be. But it's not so according to the parable, according to this story. God is the the householder who puts the same amount of money into a stack of of little white envelopes, the, the the salary, and instructs his stewards, his manager, to pass them out at the end of the queue with those who arrived last and worked least. And moving from that end of the queue, working toward the front, where those who arrived first and worked most were standing, and the student does what he's told, but depending on where he is in the queue, he gets a different response. You'd imagine. At the end of the queue, with the last and the least, there's a whole lot of cheering, a lot of laughter and backslapping. Five o'clock we started. A whole denarius. While near the front, where the first and the most, there's a loud grumbling, or at least muttering, Probably great hostility. So the steward, the the manager, hands over the envelopes faster and faster because it's getting more and more hostile. Ready to run for his life. In every case, the pay, the the earn, the wages is the same. It's a fair wage for the day. But how it's received depends entirely, and this is the point: how it's received depends entirely on what each person believes he deserves. Those who've received more than they think are oh, what? They're celebrating. <laughs> hey, we're jubilant. Well, those who've received less are furious. Take what belongs to you and go, says the vineyard owner. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You see, the most curious thing about this parable that Jesus lobs into the mix, is the question of where we locate ourselves in the queue. Where are you? The story, you see, sounds really different if you're at the back, just turned up, than it does for those at the front. But isn't it interesting that 99% of us hear it from the front row? feel indignant. We are the ones who've got the short end of the stick. We are the ones who've been cheated. We're the ones who've had to get up early and hard work, worked hard and stayed late and all for what? So that the backward householder can come along and start at the wrong end of the queue, treating us just like the ne'er-do-wells who couldn't even get dressed until noon and gave the same. That's how most of us hear the parable. But it's entirely possible that we're mistaken about where we are in the queue. (laughs) Did you ever think about that? It's entirely possible that as far as God is concerned, we're halfway around the block and that there are all sorts of people ahead of us in the queue, people who are far more deserving of God's love than we are, and people who have more stars in their crowns than we will ever have, and they're at the front of the queue, and we're near the end of it for all sorts of reasons. No one's ever told us about it, for one thing, we don't know we didn't even know there was a queue until late in the day, but even if we had, we might not have done much about it. We know all kinds of things we don't know much about. There are so many things we mean to do that we never get round to doing, and there are so many things we mean to, not to do, but that we end up doing anyway. Even when we manage to do our very best, things get in the way. People get sick, businesses fail, relationships go down the drain. There's a lot of reasons why people wind up at the back end of the queue and only God can sort them out. But let's just suppose for a moment that it is you back there, craning your neck for even a glimpse of the cinema because it's so far off, knowing that you'll never make it in. It would just appear to be fully sold out. That all the tickets would have been gone long before you got there. And that you've got one more long, hot afternoon on your hands when everyone else is laughing and eating popcorn inside the lovely air-conditioned cinema. And because you know you're going to be excluded, it makes you cry. It makes you want to give up and think, why bother? When all of a sudden, a stir, a murmur, a whisper goes through the crowd. The manager appears out of nowhere and walks right up to you with a stack of blue tickets in your hand. We're starting at this end today, he says, handing you a ticket. And everyone at the back raises a big cheer. God is not fair. For reasons we may never know, God seems to love us indiscriminately and also seems to enjoy reversing the systems we set up to explain why God should lump some of us more than others. But by starting at the end of our queues with the last and the least. God lets us know that his ways, they're not ours. And that if we want to see things his way, we might work on our own notions of what is fair. And why we get so upset when our queues don't work. Very British. Very British. You see, God isn't fair, but depending on where you're in the queue, that can sound like powerfully good news. Because if God is not fair, then there's a chance that we'll get paid more than we're worth. And that we'll get more than we deserve. And that we'll make it through the doors, even though we were last in the queue. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. See, God isn't fair. God is generous. And we begrudge that generosity, it's only because we've forgotten where we're standing in the queue. On any given day of our lives, when the sun goes down and the cool breeze stirs the dusk, when the work is done and the, s- and the manager heads toward the end of the queue to hand out the pay, there is a very good chance that the cheers and the backslapping, the laughter and the gratitude with which he is greeted will turn out to be our own. Yours. And mine. Amen. Shall we pray? Topsy-turvy Jesus. Like that Mr. Man. Mr. Topsy-turvy. Where up becomes down and down becomes up first should be last, and the last shall be first. Just a week ago, we we caught the glimpse of Jesus on the cross, and to the thief, the brutal murder of the brigand. Remember me, Jesus. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Goodness me, he was at the end. But so welcomed as the first. As we were singing songs of love just a few moments ago, not because we must, not to show off or to prove our devotion but out of grateful thanks for your generosity of grace for the kindness of God as we dwell upon that for a moment of just thinking of the enormity of his goodness towards us. I always find it most, most challenging when I read of those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Mary, as she broke the year's, years worth of salary on a bottle of perfume and wiped Jesus' feet as an expression of worship. It was just... All she had, and it was hugely expensive, maybe her life's retirement, her insurance policy, her retirement fund. And she said, here it is, Jesus. I'll pour out my love as worship to you. She got it. Pray to for us in this season where we are being confronted with many opinions and a number of people are saying, Vote for me. Vote for this party. Vote for this system. Vote for these policies and this manifesto. Us to integrate what we've just heard about generosity. I see how that may work out on national, but also in who we are and who we're going to meet, even this evening and this week. Forgive us for where we've ranked ourselves, we've looked up to some and looked down to others. Forgive us when we have kind of prayed that prayer like Pharisees and thank the Lord that I'm not like. We pray that we would remain humble before you, Jesus. That our attitude should be like that. Of Christ Jesus, who didn't consider with equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or a slave, made in human likeness, and he humbled himself even to death on the cross, and God exalted him. The highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know that was probably a song that the early church sang? What great lyrics! And Jesus, thank you to each one of us. Abundant grace. But even if we've shown up last and late, and we've, there's been people here well before us, the Lord's favor is abounding. He loves you, and he's so delighted. You're interested in him, and he's got great things for you. Not because you deserve it, but because he is good. Keep stirring us with that in mind. In every day, in every way. In Jesus we pray. Amen.